Shut up and sit down. Welcome to another episode of Business Bros. Yeah, we got that down. All right, today's episode, we're going to be talking about the real estate cycle. Many, many questions on what's going on in real estate today. Well, you know? let's uh, start really quick by discussing why this is a topic right now. Yeah, well, I mean, we're actually entering into a changing market. Things are starting to change around the country. You're finally starting to see some uh, newsworthy things about changing in the market. But what does it mean? Like, what is a change in the market? Is it is it a downward market? Is it an upward market? Is it, is it a buyer's market? Is it a seller's market? I mean, there's a, all kinds of things going on. And... Um, I'm not sure I even understand <clears throat> what all those terms are. Right. So we're we're gonna try to break this down and and talk about um, we we I think we have like five different markets that we um, we try to simplify this so we can get kind of get an understanding. Um, and we're not gonna get too technical on things. So we're gonna try to keep it as simple as possible so you can kind of get an idea of what's going on. And then we're gonna talk about the different uh, challenges that uh, that come about in each market. And then hopefully you get an idea of what's going on and understand that um, even though we're talking about a general real estate cycle, um, that in your own micro market, things may be a little bit different. They may be taking a little bit longer to slow up. They may be taking a little bit longer to speed up. Um, it just depends. You know, that's that's kind of the thing about real estate. In general, this is happening, but your micro market could be a little bit different. And what I mean by micro market is, I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, the difference between your street or your, you know, six blocks versus the entire, you know, little town versus the entire county versus mm-hmm. the city versus the state, you know, that sort of thing. So micro markets, it can be a little bit different. So let's get this one cracking. Perfect. And just <clears throat> to kind of clarify really quick, uh, one of the things that you were talking about was the different types of markets. I would define that as different stages in the real estate cycle. Yes, different stages in the real estate cycle. So let's jump into the first one. The first one is the one that we're just coming off of, right? So, I mean, you can put these in any order depending on where you're at in the cycle. I'm just putting this one first because this is the most, uh, f- the freshest one on people's minds, right? Right. So, we live in San Diego. We're just coming into or finishing up what we what, what is a seller's market, right? This is what I like to call the name your price market, right? So... <clears throat> Do I get a little gun like uh, the progressive girl? Yeah, name your price, just like progressive, just like flow. You know, what do you want to pay for your? What do you want to sell your house for? Deep. Okay, cool. Let's put it on the market and see what happens. Oh, lo and behold, you get like ten offers, right? All right. And so you end up selling above list price. I mean, that that's really what what we're just coming off of right now. You know, and you don't really even you know being a real estate agent, you don't really even need a real estate agent when the market's that hot. You put a sign in the front, and people will come, right? And the, the thing about that kind of market that's so amazing to me is that um, people, you know, if, if I have an, a house for sale and I put a sign in front, I'm going to get like seven, eight, nine, ten offers. And if you, the buyer, have a problem that you want to fix, maybe there's an inspection issue, maybe um, you're you're trying to sell another house. If I don't really like any of that, I could just tell you to, you know, kick rocks and I'm going to go to the next deal. Hey, I'll I buy it. Also, yeah, I have like three or four people waiting in line that are willing to buy it. Yeah, one of the uh, ones that you represented last year, I remember, uh, they came in with no concessions. They were like, we'll buy it. We don't care what the inspection says. We don't care what the problems are. We we just want to buy it, and here you go. And they were like 20 grand over, over asking. 
20 grand over asking. I mean, it was it was ridiculous how, I mean, and, and really, I mean, I, it, it comes down to a negotiation. Sure, they tried to negotiate some things, but really, I, I, I as the sellers representing the seller in the transaction, had all the leverage because there were five other offers waiting for him to back out. Right. And they knew that. They knew that. So that's that's the name of your price market, right? Also called the seller's market. Also known as a seller's market. And that's where we're just finishing off. So the seller in <clears throat> this market has the benefit. The seller is in control. The seller has can the decide um, yay or nay, you know, pull the trigger, go for it, or I don't like this particular financing, or I don't like this particular buyer, or whatever it is. They have the choice between a number of buyers, right? So this is... Uh, High demand, low supply. High demand, low supply. We had a low supply of houses on the market, um, yet we had a lot of people trying to get in, right? The, right. the frenzy is going on, right? It's hot. You know, I got to get in now before, before prices go too high. Right, right. Right. That, that makes mentality. a lot of sense. Okay. All right. So what happens when we get out of the seller's market? What's the next step? So next is where we're at today, right? Where we're at today is what, what, I, what is basically a changing or transitioning market. Things are starting to slow up. This is where sellers realize, no, um, it's not worth that much, right? right. So, so this, this idea of I can just name my price and I'm going to get it, some sellers are still coming into the market right now thinking that, but what happens is the prices are so high mm-hmm. that buyers are beca- beginning to get really picky. So like, you're telling me that I can't list a one-bedroom, one-bathroom, 500-square-foot shack in san diego and get half a million for it anymore i'm not saying you can't i'm just saying there are (laughs) less buyers where before you put it on the market and within hours you had five offers now you're waiting a week two weeks three weeks even maybe you get an offer maybe you get two offers and maybe they're coming in below asking okay right and not just that um you're starting to have some concessions now so now define concessions so buyers might say hey this inspection came back and there's something wrong i would like you to fix it and now you don't have those backup offers to uh make them kick rocks anymore now you're like so now you either want this uh, transaction to go through now you either fix it for them you know you concede or you give them money so that they can fix it later. Or you, yeah, or you give them credits or whatever. You now, but now there's point, more of a true negotiation going on here. But at this point, you don't want to back out of the deal because you don't have those five offers waiting anymore. Right, you're limited to your offers, and so that's what we're getting at now. Is it still hot in some areas? Yes, it is. Um, but on the higher end markets, you know, in in the in the higher end uh, price point you know, million, two million, they're starting to see a longer period of time on the market. They're starting to go into two and three months long time in the market. They're looking at big price reductions. And what happens is when you have a, let's say a $1.5 million house and they drop their price by 200,000. Well, now all of a sudden the house that looked, that was listed at 900,000 doesn't look as appealing mm-hmm. because I can just jump a little bit more and I get this. Right. Okay. So they start to drop their prices a little bit, and because there's more houses on the market, or because they're on there longer, when the next property goes on the market, now they're competing with somebody else. So there's you're starting to see an increase in supply. These sellers are thinking, "I'm going to cash out of the market right now, right right now while it's hot." I see the peak. I see it. I made a lot of money. But they're also dealing with more pickier buyers. Mm -hmm. Buyers who are like, you know what? One of two things: I'm either going to be really picky on the house I pick, or I see the change coming. I'm backing out altogether. 
So that transition period is basically when the uh, real estate market starts seeing an equilibrium. There's more or less an equal number of sellers as there are buyers. Right. Or you start to see the tip where you're starting to see more sellers than buyers. That's when it starts to become the buyer's market. So the buyers hold the leverage because there's more supply. In other words, more people are trying to sell their houses and not as many people are trying to buy or at least... They're not trying to buy at that price. And every time somebody lists their house, the one that recently sold that had to reduce their price, they list it just a little bit lower. Okay, so that's the next phase. it drives the market down. That's the next phase. So we had the name your price phase. This is a hot seller's market. Mm-hmm. Then we have the, no, it's not, that wor- it's not worth that much phase, which is the changing transition where we are right now. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is going to be the fight to the bottom. Right? Fight to the bottom. Why would anybody fight to the bottom? <clears throat> I need to sell my house. I absolutely have to sell, right? Death, divorce, disaster, whatever it is, I have to sell. Mm-hmm. And I'm competing with the four other houses that are in my neighborhood. They so need to are, sell too. And they need to sell too. But I want to sell first. So I drop the price. Mm. To undercut them to get my house sold faster. Right, right. <clears throat> so I win. My house gets sold. I have uh, I cash out. I'm done. I'm out. But now those houses are going to have problems. Because now my house that's sold is their comparable, and it's at a lower price. So it won't as appraise for as much through the bank. It won't appraise for as much. Um, so maybe they had their price listed where they had it at. A buyer comes in, offers them that asking price, but then it doesn't appraise. Mm. So now the financing gets a little tricky, and we'll get into the financing here for a second. But this is where we actually have a buyer's market. This is where the buyers begin to have more leverage. And they're like, they're oh, oh check this out. The appraisal only came <clears throat> in at 400 and you Let's have it listed renegotiate. at 425 Let's renegotiate. Exactly. Oh, look at this. The inspection report came with uh, some issues here. Let's renegotiate. And the seller, the seller has to either concede or their buyer will walk. And sometimes you might not even get a negotiation. Maybe the buyer's like, nah, too much of a problem. I don't even want to deal with that one. And they go on to the next one. There's another one right down the street. <clears throat> exactly. So that's the that's the next market. That's so, what I call the fight to the bottom. So in the seller's market, the seller's like, yeah, if you don't want this house, don't worry about it. I got five people in line behind you. In the buyer's market, the buyer gets to say, well, if I don't like your house, forget you. I got go- five more right up the street that I'll go buy. Exactly. So this is where the fight to the bottom comes. Okay. And this is the downturn. Of, this is This is where the market is on its way down. We don't know how far it's going to go, and there's no crystal ball to tell us exactly where it's going to go, but we know that in a changing market, in a cycle, in a real estate cycle, prices come up and prices come down. The last time, it was a pretty severe drop. Can we talk a little bit about that? 2008? Yeah, 2008. So Um, We had the same uptick. I mean, when we bought our first house, we bought it in 2003. This was the the, uh, name your price section that we bought the house right right we came in i mean we pretty much said we'll throw the roof on we'll do all the fascia boards right we'll make it fha worthy and we the buyers we the buyers yeah we'll 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 take care of it seller we got it all down don't worry don't worry about it yeah and we'll you know we're good it doesn't even have to be in our name yet we'll do everything we need to to make sure that we can get this house and that's the market that we were in we were in the name your price market and we stayed in that market for quite some time. We bought in 2003. By the time we sold in 2007, 2006, seven, I don't remember exactly. I think it was seven. Um, things were in that transition. This, it's not uh, your house is not worth that much, 
and we experienced that with our listing price. We might we started I think somewhere around 480. We didn't we ended up selling like at 464, right? Mm-hmm. It was still hot. It's still you know what I thought was overpriced, but people are still buying. It's just that it took a little bit longer for us to get that home sold. And there was a price reduction. <clears throat> and there was in a price reduction. And if I remember correctly, we conceded to some repairs which included that price reduction. So you know the the we we sold in the right time we sold at that top of that transition in the transition market and then there was a major fight to the bottom this is where the derivative markets went down this mm-hmm. is where uh foreclosures started to happen lehman brothers crashed the whole housing market crashed everything everything and the it took a recession. tumble really quick right right all of a sudden people couldn't afford the mortgages and what happened in that market was was people had to sell they couldn't afford to keep the properties they had at the prices that they were. They were forced to sell. Problem it was, is, it was because a lot of them had those arms, right? The adjustable, adjustable rate mortgages. mortgages. Yeah, they had a lot of adjustable rate mortgages. They had negative amortization mortgages. Um, there were a bunch of these uh, different types of creative financing mm-hmm. that um, that was available to them to help them buy. But, you know, things turned on them and that great uh, introductory rate changed to something they couldn't afford. And so a lot of people needed to get out. Right. And that kind of leads us to what happens in the next stage, which I call the blame game. Right. When everybody gets hurt or when the market comes down, everybody starts to blame somebody else. It was my loan officer who didn't tell me. It was the bank who messed me up. It was the you, 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 it you. It was Lehman Brothers. It was the too big to fail banks thing. It was, it was everybody else except me signing the paperwork, right? Right. And so that's the blame game. And so while, while the rest of the world is playing the blame game, this is also the time where investors come in to find great deals. Right. This is how we ended up doing our first flip you know when everybody's playing the blame game investors come in and start to find these deals they start to fix they start to flip this is where they you found the condo for seventy thousand, turned around and sold it a year later for 120 right this is the deals that start coming in in the pike right this is a good time if if prices crash low enough this is a good time to buy rental markets in hot areas yeah absolutely right because houses are basically undervalued at that point Houses are undervalued, which means you might be able to meet that uh, 1% rule where in the top of the market, in the change or transition stage or in the seller's market, you can't. Yeah, you usually can't because the prices are just too high. Right. And so what happens is, you know, in this blame game, people start to, you know, there's regulation changes that happened in 2008. There were um, new laws that went into effect to help... uh, curve some of the effects of foreclosures and short sales you know a lot of these uh this stimulus happened to try to rejuvenate the economy Mm -hmm. interest rates went down and that hit the next stage which is the steady incline so now you have investors coming in fixing and flipping providing new uh, Mm -hmm. renovated homes Um, you have people starting to qualify again all this quantitative easing happened so the banks were able to start lending again right. uh-huh. and so prices started to go up and go up and go up until so, we hit, until it basically leads up back into the name your price nice okay so we start with the name your price which is your seller's market that's high demand low supply then we get into the change in transition which is equilibrium then we get to the buyer's market which is high supply low demand right 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 and then we get into the blame game, and that's, you know, uh, the next thing. That, I guess that starts to get into that equilibrium stage again. And then in the steady incline is when we start to see 
the uh, higher demand and not as much supply. It, right. It's right. the beginnings it's of the that It's the beginnings anyway. of that. Yeah, exactly. So there's your cycle. So there's From your cycle. And it, and it repeats. High demand to equilibrium to and, high supply and, to equilibrium. And normally these real estate cycles are about every 10 years, right? This one, it's been almost, let's see, the the true downside of that started happening in late 2006, early 2007. By 2008, we were already hit hard, right? But it started happening about 2006, 2007. Um, so you're looking at 2018 now. If which think, is about 10 years later. Which is a little over that. If we, if we enter, if we finish out this year still in a transition market, we're looking at almost 12 years. That's a longer period of time. So it's not a matter of... I mean, is there going to be a correction? It's not an exact science. No, that it's, it's not every exact 10 science, years, but, but it's on the longer end of that cycle. Right. So so it's not that is there going to be a, a correction. It's there is going to be a correction. We're seeing, we're, we're entering the next phase in the correction like every other cycle. So what happens? You so know? what you're saying is winter is coming. Winter's coming. Now, I don't have a crystal ball, so I don't know how far down it's going to go. But I do know that a change is here, right? Is it going to be as severe as 2008? I couldn't tell you. I don't know for sure. I know that changes are coming, and it doesn't mean that there's another derivative market that's going to crash. But there are a lot of things in the economy that could pop a bubble. It could be anything from Social Security being underfunded and the 12,000 retirees that are retiring mm-hmm. every day for the next five years. It could be the student loan bubble. It could be That's I mean, one a, that I'm thinking a definitely. bunch of other things that could trigger, you know, anything. And, and if we do hit another economic recession, there has been a lot of quantitative easing in the past, meaning um, we've dumped money into the economy. As, mm-hmm. a, as, a, as a government, we've dumped money into the economy to help save it, or we've lowered interest rates. Well, interest rates are pretty low as they are. Almost so, zero. So if we're going to do what Japan did and go into negative interest rates to do the next quantitative easing, up, yeah. then you know, maybe that'll work. But I don't know. You know, I mean, we really don't know. There's there's really no crystal ball to tell us. All we know is that we're entering into another part of the cycle. So mm-hmm. gear up and get ready. Yep. Right? And just when we notice that change and transition... You know, real estate cycles move pretty slowly. So when we start to see these uh, these different stages of the market, uh, it's pretty predictable. It is. It is. Um, you don't know how far either in direction, but you know that the phases are predictable. Right. Right. So let's look at some of the financing challenges that you're going to see with each cycle. So in the in the name your price in the seller's market, it's pretty easy to get a loan. I mean, everyone is buying. Right. What's that movie I always talk about? Do you remember? Uh, Big Short? The Big Short. Yeah. There's a whole scene about how easy it is for people to get and give loans. There's a scene with uh, with lenders. It's right. pretty funny. I mean, anyway. okay, so loans are easy to get. Everyone in, And here's the mentality at this point. At, at when, when it's a hot market like that, the fringes come out. The, the edges come out. The margins, right? The outliers. The outliers. These are the people who probably shouldn't afford to buy a home, shouldn't be buying a home right now. But they get qualified because they because the market is driving the price. The market wants to continue to write mortgages. The banking market wants to continue to write mortgages. The real estate industry wants to continue to sell homes. So they try to make it as easy as possible for people to qualify and buy. Right. right. So you have low down payments, sometimes no down payments. Maybe you can borrow the down payment. Right, mm-hmm. you start getting a little that. crazy. You qualify for a loan with a six hundred or a, with a six eighty credit score, or maybe a six forty, or how about a five eighty? Right, so everybody starts to qualify because the mentality is everyone should have a home. 
right? right? That's the mentality. And although socially, you know, we always want to take care of everybody, economically, it doesn't make sense. Not yeah, everybody if, is in a situation to own. If you ask George Bailey, he'll agree. Everybody should own a home. Oh, yeah, but that's George Bailey. <laughs> what would the world be like without George Bailey? What would the world be like? It's a wonderful life. <laughs> so, um, so that's usually what's happening in a seller's market, in the name your price market, right? And then, So basically, they're just handing out loans. Here, take my money. Like take my Oprah, money. Take like my Oprah, money. right? Everybody you get, get a loan. You get a loan. That's Everybody what's happening. gets a loan. So... Uh, and then in, in the next section where not uh, no, it's not worth that much, now you're starting to see some issues. We said, okay, inspections come about, right? And now we have issues where, um, well, you got to fix this or you got to fix that, right? So buyers are starting to be picky. But on the financing side, you have fewer and fewer buyers that are qualified to buy at such a high price. So not just are they less qualified, they're... Um, they're far and fewer between. People are starting to be priced out of the market. Do you think around this time is when interest rates begin to rise? Um, in this cycle, it looks like they're rising a little bit. But here's here's the other problem with, with uh, qualified buyers. Interest rates rise, they qualify for less. Right. Right? So they can't get qualified to buy the house that they want to. So what happens? The market still wants to be able to sell, so they lower the qualifications. Or they right? lower the price. Oh, well... Sellers start to lower the price, mm-hmm. but lenders start to lower their qualification okay. status. So like where you used to have to come in with three and a half percent down, at least for an FHA, um, and it had to be uh, seasoned in your account, meaning it had to be in there for some time. So mm-hmm. you know that you've put it away yourself. Well, now it can be a gift. Okay. Okay. Right. And, and it can be gifted to you by a relative or whatever. So now you're not, you don't even have the money to put as a down payment at the three and a half percent level, but somebody can give you the money, but somebody can give you the money. So it's a lot. So people are less qualified. They don't have the down payment. They don't have the, the payment to do, uh, to, to find, uh, to do closing costs. Um, a seller may credit, uh, a buyer towards their closing costs mm. where it used to be you can't credit for closing costs you can credit for non-recurring closing costs but not for a down payment gotcha, and gotcha. So, so things are starting to get a little so trickier. when you say less qualified buyers it's not necessarily fewer qualified buyers it's just a lower level of quality of their uh financial status or well, their financial well, it's capabilities it's both it's less buyers that that qualify altogether fewer Oh, fewer, right? Fewer buyer, bro, bro, that qualify altogether. And then on top of that, the ones that are qualifying are stretching themselves really thin to get qualified. Got it. So that leads into the subprime market. That those into the creative marketing strategy. So Got that's it. when you start seeing arms. That's when you start seeing amortized uh, negative amortization loans, that sort of thing. So then it's the fight to the bottom. Now, from the last time, from 2008, banks have learned their lesson. They know that if... Oh, did they? Well, in some <laughs> sense. In some sense. In other words, what we're going to see this time is probably more strategic um, foreclosures and short sales. So people... It used to be at a time where um, if you were bankrupt, if you foreclosed on, if you had a short sale, it was a negative stigma. Now, people know, well, I got foreclosed on or I had a short sale and then five years later, I bought another place. Right? Right. So it's socially more accepted and banks also know that this might happen. So if let's say, for example, you have an equity line of credit and you're thinking, that's cool. I got an extra $100,000, $150,000 in an equity line of credit. When the market tanks, I'm going to go out and buy a property, right? Right. You're wrong because what a bank is probably going to do is they're going to cap your line of credit to whatever you've already exhausted. 
So let's say you've only used 10 grand of your line of credit of your 150. The bank's going to cut off the rest and leave you at the 10 grand that you owe. Why? Because they know that people are going to liquidate this money and walk away from their properties. Mm. So you're going to see credit. Which is what they did in 2008. Right. As soon as you start seeing appraisal issues, you're going to start seeing financing uh, close up. Right, the the tightening is gonna the tightening of the belt is gonna happen. Equity lines are gonna be cut down. People are gonna start doing strategic uh, short sales. So think about this: I bought my house for half a million dollars. The market is going down. I find a house two doors down that I like, that's selling for three hundred thousand. Well, I'm gonna qualify. I'm gonna buy that three hundred thousand dollar house, and when I have the keys, I'm gonna walk away from this half a million dollar house. Who cares about my credit at that point? I got the house that I wanted at a cheaper rate. Right. Well, that hurts the overall banking system, right? Of course. But it's okay. It was my primary residence, so I can file Form 984, and I don't have to pay any of the taxes. It's debt forgiveness on my primary residence. So the the, the strategies and the, the things that the government put in place during the Great Recession are still in effect. They're just silent right now because we had a different type of market. Right. But that's why I'm saying that the banks have a way to make sure that things go a little smoother. So I think the downturn in this time, the downturn is not going to last as long. It's going to be a lot quicker because there's a system in place. Do you for think that. it will be as extreme? I don't know. I couldn't tell you for sure. I, I would just I, your, just your opinion. Your, my opinion. I think we're going to see a decrease, but nowhere near as severe or, uh, as that last one. I don't think so, but, um, but I could be wrong. I don't know. So it will I, be I a correction, but it might not be as extreme. It, might not be as extreme it could be we don't know no we don't know just like with the stock market nobody really knows anything but your opinion you don't think it's going to drop as much i don't i don't i don't honestly think it will um but hey we could be wrong but it but it could it very well could i wish i had a crystal ball if i knew if i knew yeah right i would be making some change if you knew exactly where the bottom of the market was going to be that's when you'd start buying right exactly exactly you knew when the top was that's when you'd start selling exactly but i don't know so but i do know there's a correction coming so i'm setting myself up we're stacking away the chips so that we can make moves if and and when it does drop to a significant level right so then we got the blame game situation right this is where investors are finding great deals this is where cash makes all the money if you have the cash to come in and buy properties you can come in making low ball offers you can come in way below asking you can make really good deals because people are trying to get out in desperate desperate situations so if you have developed your financial discipline and paid yourself first and you have some money stacked away you could be one of these investors and you could walk away from the next great recession or the next uh downturn correction in the market with a rental property or uh, maybe some extra money off of a flip, fix and flip type of property. Fix and flips are always good during this time. I mean, let's say, you know, let's say you don't have the cash and you have to go maybe a conventional financing um, or maybe, you know, if you do go conventional, you have, you're going to be looking at 20, 25% down. And even if you go in with a hard money loan, this is private money being you know, finance for these types of flips, you're still looking for a 20, 25, maybe even a 30% down with a high interest rate mm-hmm. because money is less available at this point. Not to mention the balloon payment after a year. Not to mention the balloon payment after a year. So you got to be very careful. However, on the construction side, construction workers tend to be more out of work during this time because people's money dried up. 
Right. So if that happens, you get better deals on labor mm-hmm. and better deals on supplies. So you're able to come in and do more and more flips. Because the supply is low. Because the supply is low and the demand for work is high. Right. So you can develop good relationships and good crews. And then during the blame game Actually, cycle. it's the other way around. It's the demand is low, but the supply is high. The supply of laborers is it's high. high. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. But the ma- the demand for them is lowered, so the price goes down. So the price goes down, right? So um, so there's a lot to a lot of deals to be made if you're ready to do that in the blame game, um, section. So this is where inventories where in where during the blame game stage of the cycle. Exactly. Sorry, lost my tongue there for a second. It's all good. It's all good. I got all right, you. So um, then in the steady decline, you could be making. Oh, sorry. Yeah, incline, steady incline. Prices are starting to go up again. You're starting to see uh, more opening up of of loans, so you'll start seeing better uh, first time home buyer loans coming back. A little more options for conventional financing. Maybe it's ten percent now than it used to be twenty five percent. So you start to see a, a difference in the financing options. And if you got your ducks in a row, you could be you know your flipping business could be doing really well because you're flipping properties. Um, you have a momentum going. You have when you're this, still at the bottom of the market. And you're still at the bottom of the market, and you're selling to people who are looking for that turnkey property. Right. Right. Your property is nicer than all the other ones that are in the market. Even though prices are slowly starting to increase, people are going to be more willing to pay for something that's turnkey than they are for something that they have to do work on. And then that leads over into the other uh, properties in the area, and they start to go higher and higher and higher. Right. And you start seeing that appreciation again. And it starts to come back to the next cycle. Perfect. So, I mean, you might see the cycle in a good, you know, six, five or six years, you know, that it'll start to be the uptick again. You know, I think the downward cycle might last, I don't know, anywhere from two to four years this time. Maybe not as long as the six or seven years that it lasted last time. Right. So we'll see how, you know, how things actually pan out. We'll see. So, we'll see. So the two questions that you always get, right? Every single day. Is now the time to sell? Should I buy now? Or should I sell now? Those should are the two I? questions. So should I sell now? So right now, I think you really should be asking yourself, do I have to sell or do I want to sell? Right? So have to sell is you need to do it, right? This is a death. This is a divorce. This is some sort of disaster, some sort of financial disaster. If that's your situation, you have to sell. Now's a good time, right? We're at the top of the market or rounding rounding that corner anyway. Right. Understand that we'll have to position the property on the market in a way to accurately reflect what buyers are looking for, right? right? I stole that from uh, my Tim and Julie Harris, by the way. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. basically I'm them. saying um, we got to lower the, the price that you're thinking so that we can get this thing sold. Right. Right. Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Right. Lower it strategically. You need to you need to sell. So I need to advise you on the best method to get it sold quick as possible. Right. Right. So that's just what always it is. the idea. Always the idea. Um, and uh, so that's if you need to sell. If you need to sell. divorce divorce death or disaster some right. kind of now if you want to sell that's still an option right you're ready to cash out you want to get a bigger house you want to be in a newer neighborhood these are wants they're not necessities but understand that you know when you cash out you have to ask your question you have to ask yourself questions like where am i going to live am i going to rent am i going to look for another place because right now um it's it's getting a little bit harder if you're trying to sell your property and then at the same time buy another property 
simultaneously simultaneously you know not that it's impossible it's just not as likely you might have some financing issues right your what if your loan doesn't close all the way what if your appraisal doesn't come in right you have way too many balls in the air to try to right time it correctly i don't think you talk we've talked about it but you actually had that exact situation when you bought your the home that you're living in now yeah but see we were we were able to which is the last point which is uh for this section is can you buy and sell or do you have to sell to buy Mm. right and that's kind of the big question because i was able to buy this house close escrow get everything squared away to move in and then sell the other house right right and that made a big difference i didn't have to worry about where the family was going to sleep where you know things were going to be held where our stuff was going to go there were some air mattresses involved but there were there were but (laughs) but very you know it was different right we were able to get that stuff done whereas other people might not have that luxury Right, right. They they may not qualify. They may not want to hold two mortgages for a few months. That sucks. Yeah. Right. So they may have to, you know, they may have to sell and then buy. So you got to really think about where that transition is going to be. It sounds good, right? But it doesn't always necessarily pan out. And there could be implications. Maybe you own the house less than two years. Um, you might be subject to to paying tax on the gain versus mm-hmm. maybe you've held it longer. You might be free and clear on that gain. So. You know, make sure you sit down with a realtor and talk about all your options and make sure they're, you know, they're, they're frankly honest with you. And if you want me to give you a, a no BS assessment, you know, feel free to hit up our website, www.csfirst.com. And in the comment section, send me a, send me a little comment and then I'll get back to you and we'll set up a time to talk about your particular situation. Um, so the other question we have is, should I buy now? Right. And, and I always think it's a good time to buy if you can afford your monthly mortgage payment, right, on a 30-year fixed loan, right? Right. Because sometimes you're looking for your forever home. So not if you're going to qualify under uh, adjustable rate or some other creative type of financing. No, 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 no. Because you're going to bite you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. It's going to come back to bite you. And so if if you can if you can afford your monthly payment on a 30-year fixed loan or even a 15-year fixed loan, mm-hmm. then by all and you love the house and you're gonna be that you plan to be there long term, and you understand that markets are cyclical, so the price you pay today might be different in you know five years, right? Then go ahead and buy. Now that that last point where the price might be lower, if I bought a house for half a million dollars and then in five years it's worth like 375, right? Mm-hmm. This is a mental thing. It's only worth 375 if I sell it at 375. Right. But eventually the market's going to turn and I'm going to come back and maybe it'll come above what I bought it for, maybe it'll come back to where I bought it for. Mm-hmm. But these mm-hmm. markets are cyclical, right? There there's going to be a steady incline just like there's a decline. But sometimes that thought process in people's heads when I have zero equity or negative equity, they start thinking of a way out. And yeah. if you know that's going to be you, then no, wait until you're well, ready yeah to, i mean to if buy. i if i bought a house for five hundred thousand and in two years five years whatever now all of a sudden it's worth 375 i'm gonna feel like i lost money you're gonna feel like you lost money, but, but you haven't really? actually lost anything until the day you sell it so right. you know just make sure that your realtor is informing you you have to know what it is you're getting into so you're fully aware right all disclosure out there like this is what is going on Mm-hmm. Right. But if you are still looking to buy a house and you're comfortable with the 30 year fix, there's a ton of options that are going to be coming on the market. Right. There's always people who need to sell. And, you know, we can get you in there. If you're buying for an investment, 
I still think you should work on the investment strategies, right? If this is a rental, make sure it's the 1% rule. Make mm-hmm. sure you can afford um, the the vacancy rate if you know you have a make vacancy because at higher price points your rental is going to be a little right. bit higher. So make sure you have those reserves. But if it's if it's still within those standards, then you're good to go. But understand that this is a cash flow investment because you're entering the transition market. So you could have a different uh, a different effect when it comes to appreciation versus depreciation. You might have some depreciation here in the near future. Um, or you can invest in a market that has very little cyclical uh, changes, right? So right. The, the upside and the downside are very small uh, compared to the purchase price. Right. So, you know, make sure you get informed. Make a rational decision when, when purchasing property, not an emotional one. It is a major transaction. And make sure you speak to your real estate agent and, and make sure that they are not trying to fluff you for the sale. Don't get me wrong. I would love to sell your house and get a commission. But I want to make sure that I inform you of what's going on so that when things change, you can tell your friends, yeah, my realtor, he told me this was going to happen. You know, he informed me. He told me I want those good reviews. I don't want to. I don't want the review that says my stupid agent didn't tell me about that. I wish he would have told me. I might have made a different decision. Right. Right. Yep. Be informed. Right. And again, if you have any questions, I mean, you can go to our website, www.csfirst.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook at CS First, or you can follow us on Twitter at Trades on the Road. Trades on the Road. So, again, if you have any questions, please let me know. That's all I got for you guys. Peace. Bye bye. And I'm out. <laughs>